Yeah, I'm Ron Bettine. I'm a co-founder here at Resource YYC. Um, I'm also an entrepreneur and a consultant. So uh, um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and consultants at Resource YYC, and uh, I can relate to a lot of what's going on. And, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about here was actually uh, because we have so many consultants here to really help uh, what we really try to do at Resource YYC is to help uh, really build a community here the members here but we also know that there's a real community of consultants in calgary so uh we wanted to uh to start a series and once a month we're interviewing uh, consultants and uh, just to learn a little more about them and uh, just help build a community of consultants in calgary so thanks for everyone joining um also uh just uh again for those who are joining late uh, we are recording this and uh, you'll be able to look at it again after or if you need if there's anything that comes up during this session that you think someone else should see, you can send them to our website there as well. Uh, so it's my pleasure today to actually welcome and have our guest today, Jeff Peterson. Uh, Jeff is the uh, uh, founder and CEO of Blue Monarch Monarch Management and is a practicing management consultant. Uh, he has leadership positions. He, he's had leadership positions in Canadian Pacific Railway and with other consulting firms prior to founding Blue Monarch Management. He's also the chair of the Institute of Certified Management Consultants of Alberta and chairs the board of the Kinsman of Calgary Foundation. It's a bit about Blue Monarch um, is a management consultancy focused on creating and influencing, amplifying and managing change through strategy, business transformation to enhance market position, advance environmental, social and governance mandates and grow companies profit, profits. So, uh, thank you for joining us today, Jeff. I appreciate it. And I think the last time we met in person was at a real live event here at Resource YYC about two years ago. So um, we're looking forward to those days again, but thanks for joining us, Jeff. It was a very good event as well. Thanks very much, Ron, for having me. Uh, yeah, your, uh, your Thursday networking sessions were, uh, you know, I, I think we, we closed the place down. It was some pretty engaging conversations after you took us on a tour. So yeah, no, it's and we are we're looking forward today that we can do that again but in the meantime uh, virtual is the next best and if uh if after this you want to go have a beer like we would here i'm inviting everybody to have your own little beer after um like we would have here so uh again thanks jeff and you know we chatted a bit before the um uh, before this a bit about some of our backgrounds and and, and uh, i think today will be really interesting because uh, um we have some similar backgrounds working for big companies but we also have similar background uh, with entrepreneurship working from small to big companies. And I know we had a wide variety of people here. Consulting is not, uh, is not just uh, for big companies. It actually crosses the gamut from startups uh, to companies changing, growing, um, right up to big companies. So I appreciate actually, Jeff, that you have that background because anyone here at the end, we're gonna open up to questions. So if you have any questions uh, um, and you wanna post them, feel free to do that. If not, we'll, we'll try to have some time at the end. And it sounds like with your background, you'll be able to cover most of the different uh, questions that may come up from people here. So look forward to that. So with that, actually, maybe, you know what, I did a, a brief introduction, but uh, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself, Jeff, and uh, if you want, just tell us a bit about uh, some of your personal stuff, and then we'll get into how you got into consulting. Yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, so I was raised in Calgary. Uh, family moved us across from Ottawa back in the early 80s when I was quite young. So I've got a, a, you know, since the early 1980s, a pretty good feel for the city. I've been 
I grew up in Northwest Calgary. Um, my wife is a senior administrator with the Calgary Board of Education, one of the French immersion schools down in the south. And my little guy is seven years old and is going through his uh, grade two year in French immersion as well in Northwest Calgary. So, uh, so close to home, you know, and it's one of the things that my father-in-law opened my eyes to years ago when I first left the railroad was, you know, having a spouse or a partner that is uh, part of a tenured public sector education kind of career makes it very easy to be able to step into a private sector business ownership or entrepreneurial kind of activity, right? Because you just have your, your base needs taken care of. So, uh, so I grew up with a French immersion background as well, starting from grade seven onward, which gave me some exposure through the railroad to French speaking parts of Canada and French speaking parts of our network. Uh, and then the education component started to put me in touch with my first governance work uh, as part of the board of directors with the Can Learn Society, focused on removing barriers to literacy, uh, really strong organization and, you know, deep roots in education and reading. So, uh, so I try personally to stay in touch with the not-for-profit organizations um, and that sector of Calgary as well. Well, and... Uh... And I think if you if you think you know uh, a whole lot about business and you want to figure out how organizations work, organizations work, try nonprofits for a while, right? Because <laughs> there's a whole different dynamic, and it's great because it's a good common cause. But um, it really does open your eyes to to uh, to I'd say I'm gonna say patience, but there's a lot of a lot of things you have to do different and learn about people. So, and uh, if you get good at a nonprofit uh, on the boards, it really can help you out in business. So great. Great, glad to hear you're giving back. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, and then, uh, so maybe uh, if if you don't mind, I'll just so a bit on your background because you were quite a, quite a few years with uh, with the railway, right? So, mm -hmm. um, with CP and well, I guess maybe not just the railway there, but um, how did that uh, maybe influence? Did Did you know at the time that eventually you wanted to go into consulting? Um, <laughs> well. Being fully candid, um, the, the end of my railroad career came to a fairly abrupt end as they had a, uh, an activist investor that had started re-engineering yeah. the company restructuring. So what I can say comfortably now is that that was the best, uh, the best thing that could have happened to me is, yeah. is making the exit, not because, because of the company. It was just a fantastic career to have with them uh, and a fabulous training ground and CP across the city was very well known for being a strong management training ground. Mm -hmm. And through my career, I had lots of access to different projects and different initiatives, different departments, was pulled from one job to the next. And so it was, it was fun. Towards the latter part of my career, though, I tended to drift towards uh, work that others didn't want, lots of information processing kinds of uh, jobs. Uh, requiring a lot of white space, a lot of new creative thinking, a little bit of audit work, actually, uh, with a lot of latitude to be able to build out. And so, you know, at various points in my last few years, I had people that I worked for and people that worked with me and people that worked for me comment at various times that, you know, I make a pretty good consultant um, because a lot of the work that we were doing was internal consulting work, a lot of coaching, a lot of mentorship, and a lot of implementation of brand new programs to help the commercial teams in particular navigate a, a very significant unknown so yeah you, you know what and it's it's interesting because even some of my background as well is when you look back you realize that you were actually a bit of a either an internal consultant or or an entrepreneur right 
And I think a lot of people within big companies, and I don't know if there's any on here that, that are thinking about a future in consulting, um, you really, if you get in the mindset and you find that that's what you've been doing within big companies, there's a lot, um, you know, there's a lot of learnings about having internal customers and how to provide service internally and how to be entrepreneurial internally, right? So, um, so I'm curious, or there's people who haven't thought of it at all and then up being a consultant and have to kind of learn it all. So, so did you find the transition then uh, going from a big company into consulting? There's, I know if you told me it was a breeze and everything's been just so easy being entrepreneurial, I wouldn't believe you. So, um, but, but some people have a harder transition than, uh, um, than others. So how did you find that? Well, in, interestingly enough, so that, that story actually starts probably a couple of years before I left the railroad. Um, I found myself in a development role in working for internal audit, which is a whole different kind of thinking about the company. And I had worked operations and I had worked marketing and sales on the commercial side, which is all about growth and all about value delivery to, to customers and clients. Then I hit audit. And audit was the wet blanket on top of your career that taught you to think about risk differently and taught you to think about due diligence and process uh, and asking the right questions, but allowing management to take ownership over their, their own action plans. So a uh, whole different art of diplomacy. And I found myself hitting that point in my career where there were two realities that were happening. One is that I was ill-equipped to have the right conversations with the right levels of management to be able to accelerate my career. Hence the decision to go back into my MBA. The second piece touches on your entrepreneurial thought, which is I didn't consider myself very entrepreneurial. And the kinds of roles that I had taken on were very scripted, particularly in the earlier part of my career. And very, um, not to say that on, uh, railroaders aren't entrepreneurial, they, they very much are, but I, uh, I, I felt constrained or um, that I wasn't an entrepreneur. So when I stepped out, the first consulting firm I joined was Western Management Consultants, which was at the time about a 40-year-old national company that was started by some very senior consultants uh, with high acumen. And to your point about going from big office to small office, I went from a high policy company with lots of rules and standards to one that had high social norms, but very limited policies. So mm -hmm. I could do the consulting work, or at least I thought I could, um, probably made about 3,000 mistakes in my first year alone on things that have, have since tightened up. But immersing in a world of external sales and external consulting was very different than operating within the confines of a scripted role inside of a big company. So mm -hmm. I found myself spending more time with relationship building, uh, building a network for the first time, um, perceiving the world around me quite a bit differently. And it started to loosen the blockages around thinking like an entrepreneur and thinking like uh, someone that needed to understand risk and resourcefulness differently. And did you have to, I'm curious, did you have to source your own clients during that uh, first uh, go around or did they bring clients to you? A uh, combination um, of the two things. So I was, I, I entered a level that, that they assessed pretty quickly on as to whether or not I was going to be able to stand on my own two feet and then eat which catch model. Uh, you're expected to do both, which is mm -hmm. work the full part of the engagement as well as be able to source your own clients. But um, I suppose I sold them a bill of goods to say that with so many railroaders being laid off and landing in different parts of different corporate Calgary, then I had strong allies in different places. And that turned out to be a false bill of goods. Um, 
uh, it takes people time to build out the credibility to be able to bring a high-priced consultant to do some, some creative work for them. So I had to basically start from scratch and building a network. So one of the ways that you do that is you get some peer men mentoring going on. So um, I was fortunate to have a very powerful and very influential and a very nice kind mentor in Scott Ackerman who put up his hand, took me on and then started to introduce me to some folks inside the company. And I got my first couple of breaks from a couple of the other consultants inside the firm that introduced me to their clients and took a bit of a chance on me. And, you know, one of them I'm on the board with right now with CMC Alberta, who was like a big brother to me. So, well, in Calgary, as big as Calgary is, it's one degree of separation as well, right? So, yep. so building a network and burning a network can happen pretty fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious because um, a lot of people, they can understand what they do well, but they can't explain or sell what they do well. So that is a, a huge transition when you actually have to start to articulate and sell to others what you do well as a management consultant. Mm -hmm. So so how did you find that transition? The conversation changes with every opportunity you face. And I learned to embrace that as a strength. Yeah. So um, it's the difference between a push and a pull strategy where you know, I probably pushed more than I should have in my first uh, first several months, but you quickly learn when you go into a conversation where people may have a need, if you continue to ask the right questions and continue to focus on them and their story, then it was a lot easier to be able to shape. Me as a generalist, I could tackle many different parts of an organization and freshly completed my MBA a few years earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you, you get dipped into all different parts of company operations and the kinds of roles that I had late in my career with CP, required heavy integration across finance operations and the marketing and sales space. So, so I could do a lot of different things. Some people in the consulting world are a lot more specialized, a lot more focused. And I had my, my, uh, my skill sets around decision quality and yield management to try and improve a company's bottom line. Um, but if, if you lead with that too quickly, then you quickly find that you're outside of a potential one engagement because you've you've offered something that somebody doesn't need. So asking the right questions, um, what I found was uh, more often than not, asking the right questions gets people thinking along different dimensions. And what they thought they need is not actually what they need, which opens up a whole different path of conversations. Uh, and usually allowed me the opportunity to be able to pivot either to, uh, to sell work for myself or to be able to bring a trusted friend who brought me into some of their conversations into a conversation where we could add some value. That's, that's interesting the way the conversation goes because a lot of times I find, you know, people have a very specific problem and the more you talk to them, they'll, they'll start, to start to tell you a little more about their problem. But, but a lot of times the root cause is maybe nothing to do with their problem. But, but to start for them to understand why they need help, it's about dealing with this problem or it could be a symptom that gets in the door, right? So um, I don't know if you find that's the way some of the conversations go. Um, nine times out of 10, actually. It's, yeah. it's pretty rare, especially these days. And, and I would say the, uh, uh, my experience consulting, and again, this could be a Jeff thing where it could be a consulting industry thing, but I'm actually seeing it across the industry from where, where I'm sitting. Um, consulting, even back in late 2013, when I first started external consulting, uh, the world has changed substantially. I'm finding myself um, engaging more and more with white space needs. So 
truly there's only a few reasons why a client would need to bring in a management consultant. One of those is they, they need access to information they don't have within a, a company. So an independent perspective, or they would bring a consultant in because we have a skill set or a capability that they, that they need. Right. So, um, I spent a lot of my time in, in my first years writing reports and providing independent advice and perspectives, right? And that's what clients engaged me for. I was a good report writer, um, good at assessment. The audit background was really helpful coming in and, and sort of reinforcing the objectivity and the independence. But then you toss the recommendations for next steps over the wall and the client picks it up and they move on. Yeah. Often that process started off with a client really having a crystal clear idea of why they wanted to engage me. Fair enough. These days, they often come to the table going, I think this is what I want, but can you help me to clarify where my end game is going to be? And often it takes a few meetings to be able to start fleshing out a work plan and a scope and and those. And, and how do you find, because uh, I, I think one of the things a lot of people want to get to is right away is how is this going to affect the bottom line, right? Um, so how, how do you connect what you do to to their bottom line and their uh, their financial statements, right? Because I think ultimately, especially in a business, right? Nonprofits are a little different, but in a business, they have to justify your expense to come in, and then you have to show results once you've been there. How do you, how do you connect those dots? Well, Ron, that's that's a perfect pickup actually for um, you know the more successful consultants are the ones that can you know, they can weave those stories into their proposals, they can weave it into their marketing materials, they can weave it into their very first meetings with, with clients and conversations to go, yeah, you know that bridge that you just drove around, drove over on the way into the office? Yeah, I was the guy that built that bridge, right? Okay. And then automatically people can start to associate yeah. with yeah. a common point of interest. So, so I have learned and, and we are learning pretty late in the game actually since starting the consulting career that the more you can connect to those outcomes, uh, to be able to solidify the results to the bottom line, um, uh, the better it is for everybody, uh, clients to justify the results as well as for the consultants to, to continue to be able to create value and sort of win the next piece of work after that. Um, we find ways, I find ways all the way through the engagement to be able to connect the top of the house to, to the frontline workers. Um, it's going to sound a bit like a cliche, but I think it's really important when uh, and, you know, and this was training that I got from my very first days as a consultant, stand behind your clients to try and empower them means that we often are trying to work ourselves out of a job. And so what empowerment often means is that you're helping a client to perceive the things that we know what to look for. We know how to look for it. We know how to connect and weave around cultures where they may be stuck in organizational structure traps. So when I can create a conversation that allows them to see their impact and how that translates often not directly to the bottom line, but where does the value get generated? We try and weave those conversations in almost every time we connect, team meetings, project meetings, whatever else. Um, sometimes the projects make it easier to be able to say, and we were able to net, you know, this project was 10% return on investment or 15 points to the bottom line or whatever the case is. Usually it's not quite as crystal clear as that. So I can say with all, candor um, still working on the best ways to be able to measure success that way but do you find uh you find one thing and i find this is you know uh if if you go in there and if people have complicated problems 
the last thing they want is a consultant to come in and make it more complicated. They're really looking for ways to distill, just cut past all the complications and, and understand what's going on and try to make decisions, right? And, and it sounds like you talked about a bit, maybe even maybe as part of the storytelling aspect as well, is find something that they can relate to, something that, that really they understand and taking some of these complicated things and, and getting them to a point that they can make good decisions, the right decisions and profitable decisions. For their company and and you find you get into that as well or do you do you find simplifying things as part of your business all the time yeah. you know there was a, a project that uh, that i worked uh, as a change manager a couple of years ago for uh, a client based out of calgary very progressive client that was attempting to and, and for all appearances is um, moving well towards industry leadership in their particular area the project itself was around systems implementation of a major property management system and the client was medium-sized coming from essentially a paper-based process or paper-based systems um, with a large diversified staffing mix. Some contractors, many of which who had barely turned on computers, didn't know how to close down a window in the top right-hand corner and so forth. So, so as we were trying to build out awareness and start to move people towards being able to adopt the system. Um, trying to break that down into the what's in it for me yeah. was first of all, excruciatingly difficult given the time pressures to be able to deal with customers of one and trying to understand the unique and individual needs of, of, of everyone that needed to touch and to use the system. So we needed to use a variety of different techniques to do that. Uh, but you're so right. You know, the, the more that you can focus in on what exactly the individual needs, and it's just change management 101, but it's so critical in just about any management consulting project is trying to make it relevant and, and simple to get rid of all the noise for people. Um, it, it, it moves them much more quickly to the desired outcome. And well, how do you find, and, and part of that role, uh, it, so you're in between senior management or leadership, and the people that have to make the change. So I'm, I'm really curious, this is kind of my area too. So how do you find going into a company cold and then being able to, to really, well, one is when you go into a company, do you define some of the parameters that you work, like you report to senior management, do you find, do you find as a consultant, you need to define some of your scope of how you're going to work if you're gonna expect it to make change. And then how do you go about doing that in a company when you first arrive? Uh, it doesn't always work out ideally this way, but in, in this context, I would differentiate consultant with contractor. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about the consultant as somebody that can flow like water around structure and through culture. Yeah. And so if we can find a way to be able to communicate on a level that's um, relevant and necessary at, at all levels of the company, right? Obviously, when you're talking with a board of directors that has a long-term time horizon, the language that you use and the focal points that you use in those discussions are quite a bit different than someone who is working through a very operational or tactical business process on the ground. So you have to make it relevant. We need to speak in language that works for them. But one of the, one of the beautiful features of being a management consultant is we have the ability to bridge those gaps that are often separated by layers and layers of hierarchy. So, um, what I'm cluing into later in my consulting career as I'm kind of moving through this part of my, my, my working professional life is that communication is increasingly important. And this is one of those lessons that I had wish I had 
wish I'd known back in the railroad a lot better. It's the, the higher you get, the more relationship management you do, the more relating you do. And the clearer and tighter the communication needs to be, the more methodical it needs to be. So, and you find when you go in, so do you have a bit of a game plan then? Uh, um, you know, and every time, and I will say myself, every time you do something, you learn something that seems so obvious for the next time. But now that you've done enough in there, do you, do you have a bit of a game plan when you go into a company? How do you approach it, especially a new company, a new, a new client? Um, yeah. To, to kind of not guarantee success, but really, really help enhance uh, the probability of success of your consulting engagement? Uh, a few parts to it. So um, what, one is uh, not too long ago, I, I posted, a, there, there was an article that I pulled out of Harvard Business Review around a concept called the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Management consultants are notorious for this, right? So you go in for the first six weeks and you fake it till you make it. So it's so one of the reasons why I love this career path uh, as much as I do, which is the learning curve is always straight up. There's always something to learn. And when you're going in, clients have an expectation that you have some degree of competency and be able to hit the ground running because clients don't like to pay for <laughs> the learning curve for the most part. Um, but with the imposter syndrome, we have to be able to maneuver and to dance to be able to, to find the path to learning very quickly. So one thing that I do very, very early on, inevitably in, in major engagements is I study org charts. I need to understand where the influencers are. I need to understand where the power lines are embedded. I read policy. Uh, I usually ask for policy. I read brand standards. I usually like to know the corporate brand standards. So how rigid is a company? How professional and polished? How do they communicate? Um, one thing that I've learned pretty recently in my career over the last few years is I need to know communication channels. And so an email-based culture kills me every time because I'm not an email guy. But understanding how the culture communicates is critical. So I usually try and book meetings with the people that can give me information, get me up the learning curve quickly. And I usually ask for the right kinds of documents, where are your key plans, show me your performance dashboards, show me your records of meeting, meeting minutes and decisions that were made just to get up the learning curve so that we can navigate. Are there any um, kind of tools that you found over the years, tools or tips that just you said, I mean, a, a good consultant, you start to build a tool belt of all kinds of tools and pull them out. But are there any uh, tools that you find you just pull out all the time now that you learn along the way? <laughs> There's one and we're building it into our company's DNA as we speak. Um, so in, in my first year, so just to weave back to part of where my first major engagement came from. So so Mike Hughes, who is on our CMC board and was my one of my big brothers inside of WMC, was uh, entrenched with uh, TC Energy. And he introduced me onto one of his projects, which, you know, do some good work there. And, and I got noticed and got pulled into a steering committee project with uh, a deeper, more technical part of the company focused on asset management and risk management. And I was working on an engagement for uh, one of the directors there. And, and as maybe about a third of the way through the engagement, he pulled me into his office one day after uh, a series of meetings and, and basically said, you know, no word of a lie. You know, Jeff, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room, right? We've got, we think we do strategy pretty well. We've got the substance, what you need to do is to be able to pull it out of the people, right? So you'd worked with consultants a long time. I was fairly new, like brand, brand spanking new to consulting. And it was a good lesson from a trusted client to, uh, to, to teach me a little bit more about humility. 
And then he recommended the book, Humble, uh, Humble Inquiry, written by Edgar Schein, based out of MIT. And the key message, which is really the best tool I can offer up is North Americans in business traditionally, or typically tell 80% and ask 20%. And the recommendation is basically flip it because asking more questions builds relationships. And then particularly if you ask questions that you genuinely don't know the answers to, as opposed to those garden path ones where you're trying to lead somebody towards the answer you wanna hear. Right. It, it shows trust, it builds trust, and it starts to unlock paths to more information that can help you to clarify the next steps. So, and then he went on to write another book called Humble Consulting, which was just fabulous as well. But for the same humble approach when you're engaging with clients, we, we don't have to have all the answers and clients don't expect us to have all the answers. What we have to have is a way to be able to navigate moving forward. The other tool, and I'll just touch on it really briefly, is um, especially more recently uh, exacerbated by the pandemic with all the virtual tools and the virtual engagement that's come up. Tools like Miro, tools like AOA and others that are focused on mind mapping and whiteboarding and those kinds of things are more reflective of the more creative solutioning and ideation way of consulting. So this is less about the hard analysis and the report writing. Companies have recruited that in spades in-house and they're bringing consultants in to implement those capabilities. But it's the softer, let's put sticky notes on the whiteboard. Let's stand up at the whiteboard together with a pen in each hand. Each of us have a pen and we're just going to add ideas to each other's whiteboard um, to be able to move tough thinking forward. That is my go-to space these days a lot more because those are the kinds of engagements people are reaching out to us to handle. Yeah, and that, so yeah, two things. That was, that was one, or was there another one? Or did I miss it? No, oh. uh, just yeah. the, the first one was just the inquiry focus and the second one was just a moving, moving into softer tools and softer engagement to be so able those, to- Those who tuned in today or listen after have got the secret sauce that you wouldn't have got, you would have learned the hard way. And I actually, I just want to emphasize, actually, I'll just build on that a bit because I think people love to share, but building that trust relationship is super important, right? So, and this is, this is, I think you have to have that with every levels of management right down to work you deal with is you're there, you're there to help them, right? And if, if it looks like you're in with a hidden agenda or they can't trust you, then that build, that breaks everything. And if anywhere along the way you break that trust, then then it's it's almost sometimes impossible to build back. So so um, so some of those tips about listening and things are are super important, and especially if you can build that trust relationship. I'd add. So, and and if I had my way, I'd have every room would have at least three walls that were all whiteboards, because whiteboards can solve a lot of problems. So technology's come a long way to help us there. But but man, standing and talking in front of a whiteboard with sticky notes is is uh, is a great communication. So maybe that's the old school in me. Well, you know, that, that's, uh, that's the thing, Ron, is uh, even, even old school, this is, um, this is a, a trend in the world around us, particularly um, exacerbated by the pandemic, is mm -hmm. we, with virtual communities coming together, people around the world are being able to create new definitions of what a community looks like because they can reach out across traditional space and time barriers. I've been getting to know another um, consultant in the space that's been focusing on the hybrid workforce or the hybrid working mm -hmm. space. Uh, and, and she was involved in um, a very significant space design downtown with a previous company that she had worked and was telling me a story about uh, coffee lineups, for example. 
And coffee lineups are a fantastic place to be able to share ideas and stories. And one of our senior leaders stepped up to the open cafeteria space and said, okay, we've got a single queue here, a long coffee lineup. We've got to get rid of that because people aren't productive. And she's going, hold on a second. If you look very carefully about the staggering of the lineup, you know, we've got bosses and we've got staff all sharing openly ideas here um, to circumvent barriers where a staff person has to walk into the boss's office fully prepared with a brief and ready to be able to lay a solution on the table. So as we're thinking about the whiteboard or the coffee line of to be able to exchange innovation and start to move that forward, then uh, it, it's maybe old school, but it's also new thinking around how do we think about the traditional space and time. Yeah, and of course, nowadays, it's how do you apply that digitally? Um, and I will say, actually, and, and a few other questions, so I won't go too deep in it, but they've been some really good techniques around trying to use Zoom. Not, you know, this is great here, but um, somewhere you get breakout rooms and you just really get people to connect digitally, which which is hard, right? You have to take a lot of effort to actually do what is more natural in a coffee line or, or standing around the water cooler, right? So... If you have to, and I'm all yours, because I haven't been able to replicate the energy that comes from the in-person connection yet. But I do want to, I actually want to just go into a little topic, because you are involved in something that's actually about networking and, and uh, bringing consultants together. So tell us about your CMC journey. And I'll just fully disclose, I've been a consultant for a long time. And now I'm starting to backfill my consulting with some of the certification I had before. So I'm an, I'm a fresh CMC uh, consultant. And uh, for anyone listening, I highly encourage you to uh, look at your certification and, and, and look at the program as well, because um, it, it adds some, you know, really, if you're going to do this business, it adds professionalism to what you do and some credibility. So uh, there's my little plug, but, but tell us about your journey and how you ended up uh, um, on the board of CMC. And maybe tell us a bit about CMC, actually. Happy to do all, all of that. Well, my uh, my first indoctrination to CMC Alberta and CMC Canada actually came from my first mentor with my first consulting firm. And walking into Western Management Consultants, um, they've been active proponents and actively involved at various levels of CMC across the country and even into CMC world for years. So um, we had, for example, the... Um, Uniform Code of Professional Conduct was framed and positioned strategically in various places around the office because it was, you know, operating with independence, operating with objectivity was a very important part of the marketing and the operation of that particular firm. So, so I got first exposed almost right out of the gates and starting my professional career as a management consultant. Uh, Scott took me up to Edmonton. We went to the National Conference up in West Edmonton Mall at Fantasyland Hotel. Uh, just fantastic to hear some of the guest speakers there. Fast forward a bunch of years. Uh, what I had learned is it's not just a marketing tool. Uh, the focus on competencies, the focus on business ethics, the, the, the training and, and you know the, the training on essentials and management consulting, project management, communications, and so forth. Very, very valuable to help see the breadth of an organization and to get dipped into a variety of ways that you can withstand the first test of the battlefield with the first clients that are asking you for solutions to their most complex problems. Um, I got involved with the CMC board to start not directly as a board member, but uh, started off with the registration committee, which, you know, and I learned this, this lesson pretty early on in my railroading career. 
find yourself teachers really quickly. And so my very first promotion in my railroading days uh, was to leave an operations group and, and join the network management center. So big dark room, NASA control room style, 24 hour operation, a hundred teachers around me that on a slow night shift would take the time to show me their world. And so you join a company like Western where I had 15 teachers in the office that were willing to give time and talent. Um, pretty powerful to be able to, um, to accelerate a consulting career. When I joined the registration committee with CMC Alberta, I joined with, uh, with people like Rick McDonald and Daryl Toma and Ken Davies. Uh, had heard of Jeff Griffiths as well, but, um, mm -hmm. but uh, he was not immediately in that particular part of the, the organization. But these are guys that pioneered management consulting in Alberta back in the 80s and 90s and had the war stories to prove it, had seen all matter of decisions under the sun. And so I very quickly learned how to start making decisions around streaming and around candidacy and around the, um, the awarding of, of CMC designations. So from there, it was a, a quick step onto the board and I took on the vice chair in the Institute secretary role, which put me in under Doug McNamara, mm -hmm. uh, another pioneer uh, through the MAF, uh, executive leadership the company that he grew from the late 90s um, and a strong, strong mentor. So uh, so then I stepped into the chair role and I'm now sitting on a couple of committees, national group, as well as trying to drive a very busy agenda with the Alberta board. Yeah, and any, how's it look? I mean, COVID has obviously changed things with CMC, but, but how's it look on the horizon, uh, either some of the things you've developed with COVID? So you got conventions that are kind of not the same anymore or looking ahead to post COVID there? What's uh, what's the future for K CMC that people should uh, look forward to? We're gonna be able to frame that a little bit better in a, a few weeks time. We, the, board, the board met, uh, and I won't tell too many tales of the school yeah. here, board met for um, a strategy retreat back in the first of a couple, uh, early October, to be able to think through what has changed in the world around us. We knew even pre-pandemic that we have a certain demographic that has CMCs. And Ron, you and I are it, yeah. but tapping into younger yeah. student populations of people and starting to grow management consultants early out of their education um, is a bit challenging, mm. right? And, and people responsible for the growth of our institution and, and trying to promote our brand, we're reaching out to senior partners of large um, consulting firms that have their own internal training programs. And so we're in a point right now where we're starting to rationalize and to more deeply understand what is the value of the designation? How does it help? Um, which also means advocacy and marketing with clients that would want to hire a CMC because there is an awful lot of good around protected practice and around public protection and around objectivity that may be lost from consultants that don't have the designation. Yeah. But some of that is lost in the marketing. Our membership um, membership has been in trouble. Mm -hmm. So we're working on ways to be able to think differently and tap into different communities to be able to rejuvenate. And that is a, a national trend. And so we're working with other CMC institutes across yeah. Canada. We're working with national uh, together uh, so that everybody's playing on the same song sheet. So if yeah. someone uh, someone on this call or later on wants to learn more about CMC, uh, where should they go? And then... No, it's perfect. Um, so we have, we've got lots of great materials. So um, 
Step one would be go take a peek at the website. So CMC Alberta's website, very easy to find just by Googling CMC Alberta. Taking a look at CMC Nationals website and the Alberta site is a microsite of Nationals. So all of the information is aligned and linked. Um, both entities, as well as the other chapter institutes in the other parts of Canada, have gotten well-established social media presence. Uh, and there is a strong and tight-knit community around CMC. And this is the power, one of the powers of CMC land and, and becoming, you know, certified as well as becoming a member. Uh, networking in my world is an ugly word, but understanding the value of your network and understanding how to invest in your network because consulting is a team sport these days. It's not an individual thing. So being able to draw on the right skills with the right people at the right time means you have to lay that foundation well in advance of when you actually need it. So um, I haven't met a CMC yet that hasn't been willing to give some time to be able to coach me or to answer a question or, or provide some help. So strong network there. And of course, I'm you know, and, and I just... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I cut you off, but I'll layer on that. So we uh, have some, and for those who joined in late, uh, CMC is a certified management consultant um, and that's CMC organization. And we, in our co-working space here, we have uh, quite a few members. That's how I got introduced actually. And I'll just layer on the fact that, um, you know, one of the benefits of being connected in any networking group is, is really people will give to each other because they know what goes around comes around, right? And, and Calgary is a small world. But that ability that you're not alone, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a company or a consultant, that if you're trying to solve everything by yourself, you're probably going to fail. But if you have people to reach out to, um, you know, whether it's in a co-working space or through an association, um, it, it can make a measurable amount of difference. That actually can be the, the little difference between you heading off on a trajectory of failure or a trajectory of success. So, so highly encourage that network. Um, I've seen it myself, actually, um, and I probably should have tapped in long time to go to some of these networks uh, um, and that that is actually one of the reasons we're doing this because you know my goal is is if there's someone on this call who picks something out that actually is going to change just even if there's a little change but it's like made change to the difference on how you actually go about consulting or become a consultant um, that's totally worthwhile right and and eventually you want to get back as well so, so I appreciate you giving back um, you know I, I have we could go on um but i'll maybe i'll just one last question then we'll open it up for questions so is there anything we didn't talk about that you just need anyone hearing to hear about you know management consultant or uh, or um um some of the work you're doing there um there's a, a perspective that i want to offer up uh for career enjoyment for uh tapping into the world's toughest problems uh, channeling energy is going to sound a little bit um, abstract, but I'll I'll try and wrap it up with a pretty bow at the end. This is a, a a career and an industry of bloody red competition, right? It is super easy to hang your shingle and call yourself a consultant or call yourself a management consultant. And there's every flavor of consultant under the sun that are out there right now. It's very easy um, to leave a company and automatically become a consultant. Because it is so easy to set up as a consultant, it is also easy to compete with other consultants for work, for limited work. We're moving into a gig economy. And so it's easier for people to leave companies and move across company. 
uh, it's easier to contract out than become an employee, um, depending on your risk tolerance. Uh, my thought on this is, as you move through, for those that are interested in becoming consultants, and I've certainly found a lot of value in this, finding ways to co-opt and work together and collaborate is way more energizing than trying to find ways to compete and to hoard. And, and if you can tap into those right partnerships and the relationships, clients, I promise, notice that. Um, being benevolent and trying to find ways to make someone else successful, even if it doesn't come with the expectation of um, individual profit, means that you can channel your energies in a lot more creative ways to focus on problems like 3D printing, start um, helping world hunger, helping the energy crisis, solving global supply chain issues that made the media this week and so forth and so on. Um, the world's too short. Uh, and there's a lot of very creative people in this industry that are willing to work together. So. Cool. No, that's good. It's, uh, it's encouraging. And uh, I think you, you started a little, your consulting firm is, a, sounds like a bit about bringing some people you work with well together to do some of that as well, right? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Is. And, and not trying to be all things to all people. So we need partners and we need friends that can, that can extend the reach. Well, we have about, so we've, we'll try and be done within an hour. So we have about 12 or 13 minutes left. Um, if anybody has a question, you can either throw it in the, uh, chat box and we'll read it or uh, I think uh, you, you'll have to take yourself off mute and just uh, ask the question there for either Jeff or myself so we have some time and I'm, I'm not very good at keeping track of all Zoom so uh, Marlene can help me out but I think Don you have a question there. Hey there thanks for the uh, your comments there Jeff and uh, for organ organizing this here Ron. I'll uh, just give you a little quick uh, a uh, bit, bit about myself and then my question. Actually, I have a, a couple questions, but I'll just ask one to give other people a chance. Uh, I've been working in uh, corporate world, uh, private sector, public sector for my whole entire career. And probably in 2018, I've been realizing I've needed to make a change and uh, that change steered towards management consulting. And uh, I, I just haven't been able to figure my way to there. So um, I guess my question is, what would you recommend to someone who's trying to make the jump? Um, I've heard and I've, um, that you kind of need to be in a financial position to become an independent consultant. I don't want to work for a big four or MBB. Um, so would you recommend someone who is trying to make that jump and doesn't want to work for Deloitte or McKinsey to get a job as a consultant with a smaller firm and then kind of work their way around or go solo and find a a firm like uh, WMC, or what would you recommend would be a way to go about making that transition? Good question. Jeff, yeah. you got the mad silver bullet for that one? <laughs> no, only tell you what I know, what I've experienced. Uh, first, first part of that I touched on a little bit earlier, which is one way or another, find yourself a teacher, find yourself a guide. Uh, I've, I've sold more work and have taken on more interesting projects by leveraging people that have been deeply experienced and widely exposed to different networks by bringing them onto teams and by partnering with them. So trying to go it alone, um, you can, and there's a whole market and there's a very lucrative market these days around being an individual consultant and being able to, uh, to build relationships with companies. Um, but if, if you truly, 
aspire to take on larger projects, then finding yourself some, some people that have some mastery in a particular space that you're interested in, uh, in my experience, greatly accelerates your ability to carve out your own niche. The second part, touching on the financial, um, was a lesson I learned pretty early on as well. Going from steady paycheck in a salary plus, plus maybe bonus kind of environment with uh, a company to one where you're working as an independent consultant is a bit of a mindset shift and nothing more than that. So it's working on a declining balance. You do a job, you invoice for the work, you get paid for the work, and then you have to work off that lump sum until your next job is complete. And all it is is a little bit of rewiring on how you spend your money and how you save your money. But taking advantage of small business tax advantages, it can be incredibly tax advantageous to go that route. So there's all kinds of benefits if you can structure yourself the right way to making that leap. And then just take it one job at a time, right? Don't try and swing for the fences. Uh, sounds again, like an old consulting cliche, but um, start small, make it easy for somebody to hire you. Don't price yourself out of the market and just go for one set of experiences at a time. And then it starts to build on itself. Yeah, and I think I'll, I'll add on to that. If you're gonna be an independent consultant, um, no mistake, you are now an entrepreneur. And I'd say some of the first mistakes of entrepreneurs is to uh, to not understand their cash flow. So one, not understand their risk and not understand their cash flow. So so that is the it's the plus and minus. It's the same reason everybody starts any business because you think you're going to be better than anyone else and grow it, and a lot of them do. But just make sure you understand the risk and uh, manage your cash flow at the beginning. And and lever, you know, Calgary is big, but it's small. So leverage your network. Um, and I think Jeff is totally right. Your first couple of jobs may be small jobs, but if you can get them done and be successful at it, you're building your reputation to build do more and bigger jobs. Um, so yeah, so. Well, and we gotta have coffee more often because I think I learned something new every time I talk with you. I think that's a perfect lesson and a perfect focal. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. this entrepreneurship, the school of hard knocks is, uh, and then you know a real <laughs> entrepreneur because they've learned it the same way everyone other entrepreneur does. And, and I hate to tell you, but you'll hear all this and, and you'll eventually, you'll have to learn some of the stuff yourself, but, but it's really good to go with your eyes wide open. So good question. Uh, any other questions? I, I know you got another one. So let's just see if some others do, and then we'll go back. Anyone else have a question? And I like the little hand thing because it helps me figure them out. If not, uh, take your go off mic and you can, you can feel free to, to blurt it out. N nothing there. What was your next question there, Don? Thanks. Um, I've thought about um, getting my CMC, thinking about what what can I do to kind of move in that direction of being a management consultant. Would you recommend uh, becoming a consultant first and then working on getting it or working on getting it as a road to becoming a consultant? Is there any advice around that? Well, there's a little bit of chicken and egg on this one. There's a minimum requirement that you need to have before you can actually become a certified management consultant, as well as a minimum requirement uh, to become a member, but uh, at, at the earliest possible moment, become a member because it starts to expose you to the network and introduce you to people that, again, can accelerate your roadmap or your, your, your career path uh, in the space. And putting yourself on the path to become a, a certified management consultant, I think you can, you'll be able to make that decision for yourself in consultation with our registrar in Alberta to decide if that's going to be appropriate for you. But like any investment, uh, I think there's a moment of try it on for size first 
and decide if you like the world of management consulting. It is not for the faint of heart. It is a fun, fun career, but you know, back to the learning curve. There's a lot of late nights, um, always tired because there's no routine to it. You're always doing something different. So before you decide that you're gonna spend the time and the effort to go after a designation, more letters beside your name, you've been trying on for 12 months or so. You know, and I'm gonna add, make sure your family tries it on. Some families aren't cut out for the risk that their spouse is taking <laughs> on and, and their lifestyle, right? Because because as a consultant, um, as any small business too, but, but you do it because you enjoy it and you end up working probably lots of hours when you're doing something you enjoy. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a whole lifestyle change that, uh, that, that comes with it. And honestly, I mean, speaking, speaking from his experience, I wouldn't want anything else. Um, but there's a lot of people who wouldn't want my life. I know that. So, so, um, yeah, so bring your whole family, your family, your, your, your family might be part of the decision as well. So, um, any other questions at all? I know a few people are dropping off, so, uh, uh, we'll try to keep it within the hour. So any other questions? Um, Don, you have one more. <laughs> no? Okay. That's well, okay. I'll ask, I'll let others go ahead, but if, uh, I have another one, if you're willing to answer. <laughs> yeah, we'll make it, this will be the quick round. Any, uh, uh, two minute question. So two minute, one minute, short question and a short answer. How's that? Well, I think we're on. Yeah, uh, aside from CMC, are there any other way or I guess uh, communities for management consultants to get involved in? I've heard, you know, there, you know, it, if you want to get good at something, find people who are doing it and then hang out with them. Aside from CIC, CMC, are there any other uh, communities for management consultants that you'd recommend <laughs> to try to get engagement with? Well, it, it depends on your topic of interest, but uh, let me ask you this, Don, how, uh, how well are you connected through LinkedIn? Do you have a pretty good network in LinkedIn or a pretty good stage presence? Yeah, I'm up in the over 500. I've worked in many different industries. Um, I've actually met Scott Ackerman before too. <laughs> um, and you might know uh, Leif uh, Prevo Menzies, who's, he's mentioned your name in, in the past. Uh, so yes, um, but it's all, but it's mostly like folks that I've known through the job that I've had. Got it. Well, and that's a great place as well to go is to your existing network. But where I was going to go with the LinkedIn, um, generally a good social media strategy, one that builds your, your network and, and secondly, helps you find your voice to start to follow experts uh, in Calgary and surrounding area. There's lots of different affinity groups that have cropped up. Again, it's a different kind of virtual community with people that are, you know, if you like business process management or you like IT consulting, there are affinity groups of people that are like-minded, that are focused on the same subject matter, that are sharing ideas and learning how to collaborate together on some new thinking. So go into LinkedIn, find those groups, pretty easy to search them out, ask to become a member and start to engage. And as you start to engage, this is where you become able to find your voice. And I promise you, and this, <laughs> I got the lesson from career counselor on my way out of CP years ago, um, but it applies equally to the consulting network, right? The 85% chance that your next job is going to come from your network applies equally in the consulting world, right? So actively networking, actively building out connections that trust you and understand your voice are going to be the ways that you get pulled into your next consulting work.
more readily than trying to apply for a blind posting of some kind. So, so use that to build your knowledge of what consulting really means, even if you don't go after a designation right out of the gates. Well, thanks. Uh, and I just concur with the same thing. So uh, thanks for everybody joining us today. Uh, once a month, we'll be doing the same with a different consultant. And every time we learn um, some great new tips um, and I'm just getting to enjoy meeting some uh, other cool consultants in town. So if you have any questions, uh, feel free. Um, Jeff, your, your Blue Monarch, uh, you have a website as well there? We have a website and we have a LinkedIn presence as well. So definitely invite. So Jeff, uh, if they can reach out to you there, you can definitely reach out to resource YYC. If you have any questions, uh, we have a comment line there. And uh, again, uh, Marlene's gonna post this after. So if there's anyone that didn't couldn't get on, they'll have a chance to see it after. And uh, um, thanks again, Jeff. I sure appreciate all your insights and uh, it was a great conversation. I enjoyed it a lot, Ron. Ron, Marlene, thank you very much for having me and for all of you as well.